there was a former infantryman who was asked to define courage. He thought about it and finally answered, Courage describes those who were afraid to go, but went anyway. Hello everyone and welcome to a very special episode 57 as the Resilience Think Tank presents the Resilient Journey podcast. I'm your host Mark Hoffman and today I'm joined by emergency manager and cancer survivor Brandy Hunter. This week Brandy shares a very personal story that is filled with courage and inspiration and she reminds us never to give up and that we haven't come this far just to quit now. From a professional perspective, Brandy tells us that sometimes in order to get a seat at the table, you have to bring your own chair. We'll get into Brandy's courageous and resilient journey right after this from the Resilience Think Tank. Hello, I'm Lisa Jones, co-founder of the Resilience Think Tank. In 2021, six professionals with a passion for resiliency came together to find ways to use our industry experience to provide a place where business continuity professionals could share their insight, seek help with their programs, and promote overall growth in our profession. On that day, the Resilience Think Tank was born. It's our one-year anniversary, and we are delighted by your support and encouraging feedback. We hope you will join our journey by becoming a part of the community. Follow Resilience Think Tank on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube as we celebrate this milestone. Also check out ResilienceThinkTank.com to discover great insights shared by our Resilience Think Tank community. Thank you for your support, and stay tuned as we continue to be an ally for risk and resilience professionals and champions for the teams of one. Randy, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. You have a very uh, courageous and inspiring story, which we're going to get to in a second. But before we get into that, just tell the listeners a little bit about your background and and what you do. Yeah, so I am, well, I try not to consider myself an aspiring emergency manager because I've been in emergency management for over a year and a half. Um, I graduated from Pierce College in Homeland Security Emergency Management. Um, I then went on to... Uh, becoming the deputy planning section in response to COVID-19 for the county um, in Washington state. And then I was promoted to planning section chief. Um, And then I took a brief hiatus and to take care of my four-year-old daughter and my husband, (laughs) who's also like a four-year-old child. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so, um, and then recently found out that uh, I had, cancer and had an amputation. So that's where I am right now. And I just recently relocated from Washington state shortly after my amputation to Houston, Texas. Okay. Uh, Before we get to the medical side of things, which is the the main focus and what I would definitely want to talk about. I, I told you before we started recording and before we got into this, how much respect and admiration I have for you. I want to say that again here uh, publicly. And not only because of your own personal resilience, because of everything that you've been through, but also for the fact that, um, and and you and I are both very familiar with someone who we're very fond of in Vince Davis. Uh, and Vince has made me aware of the fact that there are just so few people of color in the emergency management field and in, in that industry. 
And uh, how did you find that? How how has the past eighteen months been, cancer not uh, included, uh, professionally as you broke into that field? It's been for me personally and professionally. It's been it's been well for me, and mm. and I contribute that to founding Aspiring Emergency Managers Online or AMO, um, which was to help people who are trying to get into the field of emergency management. And so just having that platform really helped leverage my ability to kind of get into emergency management. So, but I have seen the ups and the downs as a black woman, um, having uh, colleagues who are minorities that are also um, emergency managers and having these really candid conversations about the, you know, the trials of being, you know, a person of color in emergency management. And just yesterday, a colleague of mine, we were talking about how hard it is just to be taken seriously um, in emergency management. And and then another colleague of mine just said, you know what, I'm just going to bow out of EM. It's just not for me. Mm. And and it's just I think that, you know, with the with EM still being relatively new and still a part of the good old boys club, it's still hard for us to navigate those waters and to find ourselves like, where do we find us in this whole entire you know, spectrum of EM, where do we fit in in this context? We talk about diversity all the time in EM, but you see so little diversity yeah. and you see so little of people being hired. So, I mean, going back to me, I, I feel lucky. I feel very fortunate, but I'm also very wary of what, you know, what EM has, you know, if that makes sense. So, uh, it makes perfect sense. And, and yeah. I got to hand it to you. One of the things that I've noticed about you, and this is this interview is the first time we've met, um, but I have noticed how good you are at your own personal branding. Um, even your signature on uh, whether it's LinkedIn or websites or whatever. Um, and then the fact that you started the AMO while you yourself were also moving into the field. I thought that's brilliant. And uh, so uh, just another reason, I guess, to, you know, to, to admire what you've done so far. Yeah. And, and I feel like, you know, everyone, um, but particularly people of color, you know, when you're struggling to try to get into something, you have to, if you want to get in that door and the door is just not opening, maybe you just need to create the door for yourself, mm -hmm. you know, or, or just bring the, bring the chair to the table. And even if that means you have to start your own consulting firm, do something for yourself, you know, find that niche. Don't rely on other people to open the door for you. Open it yourself. I love that Brandy. That's great. I, I, I think my favorite quote in a, in a long time is bring a chair to the table. I, we, we always talk about giving people a seat at the table, but you know, if, if you're not uh, able to, to, to get that, then just bring your own. Right. All right. Let's shift a little bit now to the, to the medical side of things, because to say that you've had a rough go of it is really quite an understatement. So you mentioned uh, in the opening uh, the cancer uh, and the amputation 
talk about that and and you know give as much detail there as as you'd like yeah so last year while i was responding to covid um i found a little well it was a decent sized lump on my foot and at the time i thought oh it was a ganglion cyst because i've had a ganglion cyst on my wrist and it happened to go away um but just because it was on my foot and it was really uncomfortable to wear shoes, I decided to reach out to a podiatrist. Um, and then uh, for a year, I was told that it was a, a ganglion cyst. So after I had surgery in about June of this year, uh, it was told to me that it was cancer. Mm. And then the cancer spread what way more than what I anticipated. I thought it was just, I mean, it was in my foot, but fortunately it didn't spread anywhere else. Um, but it ended up spreading to my big toe. And that's where the complication was, is that the doctors were concerned about how they were going to do surgery on my big toe without compromising the integrity of my foot. And my gate and but there really wasn't any way around it so the ultimate decision was to amputate my left foot off and that happened i really didn't even have time to think about it or to process what was going to happen it was here's the decision two weeks later no longer had a foot where was the amputation where where did they cut below the below my knee so it was on my left leg below the knee. Wow. So fairly, so uh, above the ankle, so shin area? Yeah. So roughly about, I would say about, I don't know. <laughs> I'm looking at my hand trying to, to gauge what size it is. I would say about 10 inches below the knee. Wow. Mm -hmm. And here's the the difficult thing there is obviously a life changing decision and from the time that they got to the point where they said you needed it and within two weeks it's done how do you even process something that drastic you go through different types of you know thinking you know first you're you're, you're you go and you're like okay i'm, I'm fine with this decision mm -hmm. you know when i talked to the doctor before the amputation i was like i'm good this this let's get this done you know i was really i felt empowered but then you know i was in the hospital after the amputation and i fell out of bed and uh you know that's when you know reality set you know sat in you know was sinking in that this is real you know i'm now i now have a disability i don't have i have limitations i can't just get up out of bed and walk around i have to really think about my next move and then i fell again after i got home which was scarier than falling in the hospital because in the hospital you have you know nurses and doctors around right. and they can just you know sweep you into the x-ray and see if you're okay and this time i'm at home and my brain does it doesn't register that i don't have a foot I, i'm like okay get up and i just fall i can't I can't think or react quick enough to grab a hold of anything. My wheelchair is there. I don't know why I didn't think about it, you know, but, 
And then I felt embarrassed. I felt ashamed of what had just happened. Um, and I felt my self-esteem plummet with me falling on the ground. Mm. So I have a lot of bad days. I have more bad days than good days. I have yet to still even really process what's going on. It's really difficult for me to go out of the house and to just enjoy family time like I had before, you know, go to the park with my daughter, go to the movies with my husband, go to the grocery store. It's the it's now trying to accept the stares from the children and the empathetic looks from the adults of like, I feel so bad for you, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's, that's probably the hardest thing. And then having to be so dependent on, you know, my husband to help me to get in the shower. Um, you know, even the fall itself just still is very traumatizing to me because I'm always fearful that I'm going to fall again. Right. Just right. Yeah, you get that any moment. So yeah, I'm angry. Yeah, so so I'm angry all the time that why did this have to happen to me of all things, you know, I'm mm-hmm. almost 40 years old and now I don't have a foot going into my 40th year of my life and I have to start my whole entire life all over again halfway through my life. Oh lord god, you know, hopefully I live a little longer than 80, but still you know, I, I, have <laughs> <Yeah>. to, <laughs> I have to start my life over again. I have to learn, you know, relearn to walk. The only good thing is that I can still drive. That right there is freeing to me because I love to drive. Let me tell you, I love driving fast. Don't tell anybody. But, uh, <laughs> you know, being on the road is the only time where I can just feel normal. And, and I don't like that. I just feel like my life was just ripped out literally underneath my feet. And um, trying to figure out what what are what's the next thing for me now that I have to relearn everything. And how long has it been since the amputation? Uh, it's been a little bit over a month. I, I would say about six weeks. I, you know, I reached out to you to do this after I heard the news, and I thought, wow, this is really too soon for me to to even talk to you about this. But you were so gracious. You're like, no, I'd, I'd love to come on and, and talk about it. So thank you for that, uh, particularly with everything still being so fresh. What kind of support have you gotten in this area? And is you know is that a common message that you're hearing? Yeah, you know, you know, I'm not in Washington State anymore. When I was in Washington State, I, I had my family because that's where I'm from. Um, my husband's from Texas, um, and so I have his family as some support um yes just yesterday i was looking for amputee peer support groups and i found a couple and i'm gonna try to reach out to them and go to one of their meetings next month um i've only met one person who was an amputee it's so wild that i met her through em and during this time you know i'm working with um the city like a little bit right around before my surgery. Um, and she is telling me about her amputation and stuff. I'm like, and I'm thinking, oh, this will never happen to me. Even though she, this is like right around my surgery. She, I, I don't know. Maybe she just gave me, I don't know. She cursed me or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I laugh at it now, but um, you know, that was the only time I've ever interacted with somebody with 
an amputation. Right. And um, I keep telling myself to reach out, reach out to her. But I'm, I have such a huge ego. I need to let go and, and reach out to her and ask her, you know, what is it like? What? But I've also reached out to the Amputee, uh, Amputee Coalition. Um, I talked to uh, uh, one of their peer support mentees or mentors uh, about a week prior to my surgery but it's been very isolating you know and when I talk to people about my pains that I'm having like excuse me phantom limb pain right um you know many of us have heard about it before I've heard about it before but I had no idea how painful and how real phantom limb pain is I don't feel pain in my residual limb I feel pain in a foot that is no longer there. When when I first started to experience phantom limb pain, I felt like I was literally going insane. I was right. screaming for two hours straight at night. I mean, belting out in screams. And, you know, to, to try to explain that to people, it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling to them, you know, to tell them I'm feeling pain in a foot that is not there. I feel burning sensation, cold sensation, tickling. Somebody's rolling over my foot um, with a tire, you know, with a car, you know, and all they can do is just say, you know, wow, Brandy, I, I'm so sorry. Cause they can't do anything. I can't do anything. Right. There's nothing I can do to manage this pain. So it is really just, it's a lonely experience. It is. So, and you know, I'm in bed all day. You know, besides, you know, spending time with my four year old, but I just don't know who to talk to. And, and, you know, even though this is very, very new to me, it's very isolating. And I talk to other people. I have spoken to other people who are amputees and they say that you're the first six months are going to be the hardest. And I'm telling you that this is going by so fast, but it feels like it's going by so slow. Right. I have yet to even do physical therapy yet. I have yet to have even a prosthetic. Um, but, you know, I just, it's just really difficult to find support right now. And even having the support of your loved ones who have no idea what it's like to, you know, have an amputation. You can only identify with, oh, I know somebody who's had an amputation or I've had a pain that, sounds very similar to what you're experiencing but uh nobody that has actually said i'm going through this too or i've gone through this yeah. so i know what you're feeling so let me ask you this <clears throat> and if we were to look at your situation right now through the lens of your professional eyes if you were the emergency manager of your life right now, what advice would you give yourself? To create a plan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, um, to reach out to other people because that's what you do in EM. You reach out to other people for resources. You don't do EM yourself, you know? Um, and I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that I, I'm re trying to reach out to people for resources. And I reached out to the Amputee Coalition because they have a, an abundance of 
you know, just don't do this alone. Don't try to figure out this situation that you've never gone through before. Um, if there, if you're going through a hurricane and you never experienced a hurricane, are you just going to start writing a plan for a hurricane? Or are you going to ask other EMs who've written the plan before? Yeah, you know. No, that's right. That's a that's a great approach, and and you're right to say it. Let's shift gears a little bit from personal to professional. Um, are you working now? No, I'm not working. What's your hope there? What do you What are your goals from a professional standpoint as you continue to work your way through this? I don't know. I don't even know what I'm going to do tomorrow. <laughs> I'm trying to really take it uh, day by day. Because uh, uh, if I think about too far ahead, I'll start to get really overwhelmed. Um, That's fair. That's fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We mentioned at the top how good you are at what you do. And as I'm looking from the outside in on your situation, uh, I wish you could feel the same degree of confidence about your situation that I do, because I look at you as a strong, talented woman um, with great resilience and leadership. And I just want to tell you that it's okay for you to not feel that way right now. Uh, and to, to right. just keep trusting yourself and those around you and to keep pushing forward because uh, I have to believe it will get better. Um, and, you know, we're thousands of miles apart and there's not a lot physically that I can do for you. But I know, you know my my people around me, uh, the listeners of the podcast, people in the Resilience Think Tank, uh, our friend Vince, you know we have your back as much as we can. And so what I would say to you is to don't give up you keep being resilient and keep doing what you do keep doing what you know in your heart is the right thing to do and just keep persevering and, and push through it let me let me ask you this if someone reached out to you right now and said wow brandy i feel like i'm going through something similar what advice might you have for them Just realize that you've gone through much worse. You know, you haven't gotten this far, you know, in life for you to just give up. I've gone through hell and back before. And I know that this is just, it's not just a speed bump. It's a hill, but it's a hill that, you know, you know, if you're, if you've gone through hell and back, you can get through this. It's a temporary situation. This is something that, you will relearn. You just, you know, don't give up. You know, don't give yourself, don't, don't fail yourself. You know, don't fail yourself. Um, think about all the people that you will impact. Think about the loved ones that will see what you're doing and what you're going through and think, well, you know what? If she can do that or if he can do that or if they can do that, I can do that too. I can get through this, you know? Because when we try to look at our life in the lens of like, oh, woe is me, you know, there are people out there that have it much worse than us. Right. And then that's one thing that I always think about. This could be a, a, a way more worse situation. 
I could have been dead. I could have died and left my two daughters and my husband. You know, your life really matters. You just have to keep striving and keep pushing through. And, and that's real. Yeah, you never know what's going to be on the other end. And that's really the most important message for you right now is the things that you just said, right? You have to just keep looking forward, knowing that it's going to be better. Um, And, you know, accept the fact, admit the fact that part of this is a grieving process too. And you're a month into this. You should still be grieving Mm -hmm. because you're grieving the loss of something, right? There's a mourning period here. And, and that's acceptable. Like, say it's acceptable is a stupid thing to say but but it's okay to not be okay as long as you have that long-term view of things are going to get better right absolutely from a prognosis standpoint the cancer is dealt with though yes so there was an option to just use a skin flap so before the amputation was decided they were going to remove whatever other little cancer there was in my foot it wasn't just in my big toe it was at the anterior of my foot um and you can see the tumor the you know remainder of the tumor that was there um and then they were going to take a skin flap which was like coming from your thigh or your back and then put it over there and i would need to have radiation still Mm -hmm. so and, and the possibility of the cancer coming back were still high um and then it spreading to my lungs was also a possibility um but with this amputation i don't need radiation and from what the doctor tells me that the the chances of it coming back are very very slim good well we we hope for the best there do you feel courageous do i feel courageous right now yeah do you feel (laughs) courageous at the at beginning at the beginning of it i did now sometimes i feel stupid no i'm just being very candid with you you know right. i feel very for like like i i try not to blame myself because i didn't create the cancer right um and so but i have yet to really feel courageous i don't know you know like i don't know what i would be you know where the where that would come from i mean i had to do what i had to do in order to continue to live for myself and for my family to me you are very courageous thank you uh, i'll give you the last word here brandy what else would you like to say as we wrap up well, I really appreciate you giving me the time to talk about this. I mean, I'm I'm a very open person. And so if mm-hmm. anybody wants to ever reach out to me to, you know, just talk about what they're going through, you know, I'm always here. I always have open ears. Um, and I mean, I guess, you know, I have gone through all this for a reason. You know, not, none of this was in vain. Um, but, you know, I'm just going to keep pushing along for myself and for others. And hopefully, you know, this conversation has inspired other people at the end of the day. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so too. And we certainly want nothing but the best for you. Uh, You will be in my thoughts and prayers for sure. Um, And 
if you ever feel overwhelmed and you need to talk, whether it's to me or someone else, please reach out and talk to people. Don't let uh, the depression uh, get you and uh, just keep looking forward to the to the next day. Or there's a, a, a great book I read uh, by a guy called uh, Reggie Dabbs. And that book is Just Keep Breathing. Just keep going to the next day because you don't know what good thing is going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Brandy, thanks for taking the time to do this. And uh, again, we wish you all the best. Thank you for having me. I want to thank Brandy for joining me this week on the podcast and being so open and honest about her resilient journey. And thanks, as always, to the Resilience Think Tank for sponsoring the podcast. You can stay in touch with the Think Tank at resiliencethinktank.com. And don't forget to share our work with younger professionals as we work to strengthen the future of the industry. Next week, the feds are here. That's right, I'm joined by Supervisory Special Agent Ken Schmutz as he joins us to talk about ransomware. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.